Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, and we're delighted to have you with us. The big story this weekend is the investiture of Xi Jinping as the ruler of all China. The Chinese Communist Party hailing Xi as the general secretary and president of the PRC for an unprecedented third five-year term. So it is written, so it shall be done. And turning, if we may now, from the Middle Kingdom to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We find out now that impaired, crooked, and compromised puppet president Joe Biden was rebuffed by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman when Biden asked him to delay OPEC's announcement of any cutback in crude oil production until after the November 8 midterm election. No deal, said the crown prince, who also is the kingdom's prime minister. And now Biden is doing exactly what you would expect of him. He's threatening Mohammed bin Salman with, quote, consequences. Always the tough guy, Biden. Nothing like an impaired tough guy to be in the Oval Office in these treacherous, dangerous times. In medical news, Moderna and Merck announcing their joint efforts to develop a cancer vaccine to fight melanoma. The company's expected to have phase two trial results by the end of the year and reports this week that new COVID variants have been detected. Dr. Fauci quickly, of course, jumped on the discovery to deliver his usual gloomy warning, saying a more dangerous variant could be on the way this winter. Thank you, doctor. Not everyone, of course, pays Dr. Fauci much mind. One of those people is our guest today. Our guest is the distinguished Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. McCullough is an internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist. Dr. McCullough has taken on the medical profession's orthodoxy on vaccinations and their failure to emphasize treatment in the early phase of the virus pandemic. He also has a new book out. The title is... The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, and we recommend it to you highly. The title again, The Courage to Face COVID-19. Peter, it's great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. It's been a while. As we look at these numbers, COVID cases moving higher, but not dramatically. Deaths declining in absolute numbers and as a percentage of cases, what is going on? What is the, if you will, the state of the problem? That best way to describe it, Lou, and thanks for having me on the show, is, you know, I think that in the mindset of people who are in the public health agencies, they had a mindset for nearly two years of a COVID zero policy that, you know, we were going to get to zero cases. And we've basically migrated to a COVID inevitable realization. That is, it's inevitable that people are going to contract the illness. And I think the virus is making its its final run 
through whoever's susceptible and who's ever left. You know, largely it's people who are fully vaccinated, but there's still some unvaccinated who contract it. So it is better to be vaccinated than than not, as we are watching what you seem to believe will be the wind down for this virus. You know, it's hard to know. I, I can't fault anybody early on who took the vaccines, but, uh, you know, Deborah Burks came out, a former uh, COVID task force member with some shocking statements. She said, you know, we knew these vaccines weren't going to work. And the majority of people actually in hospital dying with COVID are fully vaccinated. So it just doesn't look like the vaccines at this stage are providing protection. Now, early on, they probably did. And they probably did bring some people through the more dangerous phases of the pandemic with the alpha, uh, certainly in Brazil, the gamma and, and the delta, out, delta outbreaks in the United States. So. And then we see these reports uh, in which people, you know, who haven't got COVID and who say, well, I've never had it. The likelihood is that they've had it. You know, on June 27th, uh, 2022, in the Texas Senate, the dean for the University of Texas School of Public Health in Houston reported with high quality research assays that the zero prevalence now is 99 percent. That means basically everybody's either had a vaccine or they've had the illness. There is some residual protection now. So uh, large numbers of people who think they haven't had it and haven't had the vaccine. By the way, there's only 18% of Americans that haven't taken a vaccine. So it's that, that unvaccinated is a pretty small number. Uh, but even among that group, chances are they've had it. That's, a, that's impressive. Uh, I have to say it leaves my wife and I scratching our heads because you know, we've had people who subsequently to being in our homes and, uh, you know, being uh, at dinner with them or whatever have had COVID. And we've always said we have got to be the lucky. Initially, we were thinking it was the vaccine. Very soon, we were thinking uh, we're blessed and the luckiest people in the world. Uh, that is amazing to think 99.9% of the population could be uh, at that point. Remember with the Spanish flu, that without any antivirals or vaccines for the Spanish flu, it had about a two-year run through the population. And it was thought basically everybody was touched by it. It's it's amazing. And now we have a, a program, a movement uh, to, to vaccinate uh, toddlers, babies, infants uh, through, uh, you know, five or six years of age. Your reaction? It's an overreach, and America knows that. You know the take rate on that, Lou, is about 2%. Parents aren't going for it. God bless God bless America. Common sense seems to have descended uh, upon the population, or at least in certain areas of our, of, our, of our lives. We are seeing some vestiges of good old American common sense. Uh, I, that brings joy to my heart because it just, I just hate to think of those toddlers uh, sending, having that needle uh, in their little veins. You know, I can tell you, it's just, I think it's just a fear-driven situation. We've seen fear overtake common sense on things like masking, social distancing, lockdowns, and I think this was an overreach. Somehow, public health officials were trying to position children as super spreaders, but we had data from the CDC in February that 75% of kids had already had it. There were previous papers suggesting children are immunologic buffers. They actually don't spread it uh, very readily. There were no proven school outbreaks. The schools have been open for more than a year now, uh, public schools. 
There was no proven child to teacher spread with serious consequences. So the bottom line is we need to leave the kids out of this one. Uh, and you were saying much the same thing, by the way, when we didn't have a lot of data, when we didn't have uh, a, a great deal of uh, public consciousness about what was going on. And thanks to you and uh, many of your colleagues, I better say some of your colleagues, uh, skepticism started rising very quickly. And skepticism to me is the stuff of self-preservation. What is your your understanding now? We've uh, My wife and I, for example, just to use uh, the closest example, uh, we've had uh, two shots. We've had two boosters. Uh, what, you know, at our age, it, it's sort of immaterial what happens to us genetically. Uh, but for our, you know, our children and our, our grandchildren, it's of immense importance, uh, just like it is for, I'm sure, nearly everyone listening uh, to this podcast today. Give us your take on what have we done? You know, it's unknown. I mean, we simply don't have a long enough period of time to know what the effect of taking, you know, four injections of genetic material could be. Uh, you're right. I think clearly a risk-benefit approach would favor the, the highest risk, the elderly or seniors. And, uh, you know, we just haven't seen a focus, honestly, on the seniors in the news or in the public health messaging for a very long time. There's been a preoccupation on young people, employed right. people and children. Uh, a recent Zogby survey, Zogby is a very reputable survey company. Uh, shockingly, they surveyed a large sample. Two thirds of people took the vaccine, a third of people didn't in their sample. 15% of those who took a vaccine have some new illness now or some new disease, some new medical problem. 85% of people took the vaccine are fine, nothing. And so I've been asked, you know, what's going on here? Uh, because there clearly are blood clots, heart damage, headaches, ringing in the ears, nerve problems. There's a whole litany of things people are reporting after the vaccines. I was asked this by Joe Rogan and others. And working with a lot of molecular biologists, I've concluded the majority of people who are taking the vaccines are getting relatively inert genetic material. Uh, the, the, uh, the vaccines are difficult to make. Probably each strand of messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA is different. It has to be super cooled. It's loaded on the lipid nanoparticles has to be carefully transported around the country. Um, you know, everything's changed. They're not doing the super cooling. They're relying on a, a buffer. Uh, they're using multi-use vials. The nurses are poking a needle in it six times. I think most people are getting relatively inert uh, genetic material. And we know this because of the complications that have occurred and the deaths that have occurred after the vaccine, Lou, 80% are linked to specific lots. So we actually have a manufacturing differential that's related to these complications. When you say a, a manufacturing differential, I read that as contamination or some sort of malfunction in the process itself uh, beyond contamination, perhaps. Give us this, what you Well, I mean, well, contamination, you, you know, con contamination's not necessarily a bad thing. So if it's contaminated with air in the multi-use vials, uh, you know, it would relatively inactivate the genetic material, so it would be less likely for it to really uh, take off on spike protein production and cause a cause a thrombosis. Uh, but um, you know, people who have been in the manufacturing field, I was with Senator Ron Johnson at the uh, uh, Crony Capitalism Conference uh, at Hillsdale in, in Washington last week, and Johnson's got a manufacturing background. He goes, anytime you have 
80% of some side effect related to specific lots, you've got an issue. But in this case, the lots that are causing the problems actually may be actually relatively good genetic material that's installing the spike protein that does the damage. We do know there are contaminants and other issues because millions of lots have been returned to Pfizer and Moderna, specifically from Japan, because they find precipitate at the bottom of the vaccine vial. And contamination, I guess, as you suggest when you were talking about air, uh, it, it, a great deal depends on what the contaminant is. Uh, do we have some sense of what the predominant contaminant is when there is an issue with certain lots? No, that Japanese have reported metal debris that uh, it's actually coming off of the manufacturing plates or whatever they're using to make it. Uh, oh, there my needs, Lord. No, but it, it need, there needs to be a lot more investigation with people. I was at CPAC and, you know, I went on with Steve Bannon on his show and he goes, what needs to happen? And I said, Steve, we need investigation. We need to be able to answer questions and the companies need to answer, answer them. Senator Johnson's sent now over 40 letters of inquiry and he's been stonewalled from, by everybody on this. And so uh, what the Republicans are saying is, listen, we need a sufficient majority to start actually subpoenaing people and ask, asking questions because Americans want to know what is going on with these vaccines. When do you think, and I, I, this is, and I don't mean this in a partisan sense, I mean it in a, a, a sense of governance uh, and obligation to the citizenry. When do you think the country is going to wise up about the fact that the left in this country has drawn a, 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 a dark and thick curtain between citizens and the truth, whether it's about politics, uh, economics, our medicine, our public health, they seem almost uniformly to want to deny the public right to know, which is a, an American uh, tenant uh, of our of our society, of our heritage. It's it's a remarkable thing, and people aren't talking about this this curtain. Uh, that has been pulled down over the truth by the left. You know, people keep asking the question, what needs to happen? Does, uh, you know, does the president or vice president need to, you know, have a calamitous death after taking uh, a vaccine? Does, uh, uh, you know, is there going to be some court case that's going to blow things wide open? Uh, will there be some revelation that's so sufficiently noted that the public will wake up. Uh, it just seems as if the public is in a trance and the left, uh, and I can tell you politically, I tend to be really moderate. I've been the, the, the spectrum. Right. I have uh, now uh, just recently registered on the Republican side of the voter ledger, but I can tell you that um, uh, uh, you know, you know, former President Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago house being raided yesterday uh, you know, it's almost as if we're in a wide open totalitarian uh, uh, country right now. Yeah, it's it's not certainly complete, but this is a takeover. This is not a a contest. I, and I, I find it fascinating that the so many of the Republicans, either they're quiet, only Ron DeSantis that I know of has said anything significant. I have to give uh, the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, in the House some credit because he did at least threaten investigations, but that's an empty threat until we uh, see whether or not we're cheated out of another election uh, come November. 
uh, it is there is a level of skepticism that is healthy that I think is emerging in this country, uh, in part because of what COVID has wrought. Uh, we can talk about uh, any number of issues, but the the reality is. This is a Justice Department, uh, a an FBI. Uh, they could decide at any moment. Anyone who refuses a COVID uh, vaccination uh, is guilty of some affront to the administrative state, to the deep state, uh, and the Marxist Dems who are driving everything. You it's and I, yeah, Lou, just by having this conversation, you and I could easily be classified as domestic terrorists. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right. I'm afraid you're right. But you know what? You got, you know, if you don't reserve to yourself the right of free speech, uh, then free speech ends. And I will tell you this uh, on this on this podcast, on the Great America Show, especially with that name, we're going to speak freely and honestly and openly and devil take the hindmost because that just isn't going to change without uh, absolute suppression by the by the government. Lou, I had a chance to make some points on stage at CPAC, and it's absolutely wonderful that Matt and Mercedes Schlapp extended an invitation. You know, they, YouTube had taken down all of CPAC uh, at the last meeting in Orlando because of my seven-minute speech that I gave on stage, and it was wonderful. He invited me back. He hand wrote me a letter saying, listen, um, you know, we've got to bring the truth. I made the point to America that in the medical world, my world, there is no such term as misinformation. There is no term. Uh, there simply are scientific data and observations, and there's two or more interpretive points of view. The scientific process depends on different points of view as we discuss and seek the truth. There is no such thing as misinformation. And to have any agency or medical society or medical board claim to have agency over the truth, actually take uh, and make the claim that they hold the truth and others don't, is a very, very dangerous step towards a pathway of totalitarianism. You're talking about the National Institutes of Health, and you're talking about the CDC, and you're talking about Dr. Fauci, uh, the most presumptuous and arrogant uh, doctor I have ever met, heard of, or um, uh, even conjured. Uh, and, and I'm not picking on Dr. Fauci. He's been picking on us. Uh, he is a an entity unto himself, a power unto himself. Uh, Senator Rand Paul, I think, has done a wonderful job of, of showing what uh, an irresponsible and arrogant and deceptive uh, public uh, public official that he's been. And, and, and a public official without oversight, uh, making such important decisions. And then we hear, as you said, Dr. Burke sitting on the uh, task force and knowing that the vaccines won't work in her words, uh, and yet uh, pressing the public to be vaccinated, knowing that the outcomes are highly uncertain. Well, you know, people have asked the question, why did she come out and make these statements? She may be trying to position herself uh, in a way where she's out of the long arm of the law. Americans are angry that we have not had teamwork. Uh, we have not seen different points of view. Uh, this should have been purely an elective program, high-risk seniors, people uh, who could judge their risk or be advised on risk, uh, could participate in this carefully. Uh, we didn't have any safety reporting. 
on what was going on with the vaccines. And, you know, as the virus mutated, the, the, the federal agencies were very quick to remove monoclonal antibodies. They said, oh, they won't work, but they never removed the vaccines. And they basically code against the same uh, spike protein. So the bottom line is uh, the agencies have, have uh, in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, the agencies have actually uh, intentionally suppressed treatment in order to advance the vaccine agenda. Let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, let's make sure that we're uh, saying uh, in the title of your book, uh, The Courage to, uh, to Fight uh, COVID-19. Is that the correct title? No, the, the title is Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. And I took a year to write this with uh, best-selling author John Leake, who's a true crime author. John had returned to the U.S. from Vienna, where he had several uh, uh, you know, award-winning books. And, and he went and carefully interviewed many, many of the key players uh, and tells the story in a narrative, actually a story, about the discovery of how to treat this illness, how to get people through the problem, avoid hospitalization and death, and then the stunning development that a variety of stakeholders worked to actually suppress information and then directly suppress treatments to Americans and people worldwide. Well, as we can see now, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, uh, these companies had a great deal to lose by uh, featuring treatment for crying out loud, instead of a vaccine, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, your thought about Big Pharma, its role, I mean, I have to say, the fact that there was the suppression on the part of at least two companies on the results uh, of uh, the number of deaths uh, as a result of having taken the vaccine, I, I find that just unimaginable that there wasn't an outcry. And it was just another day at the office for so for millions of Americans. Yeah, what you're mentioning is the you know the later development that under court order Pfizer actually had to release their dossier, and Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths within 90 days of release of their product, and the FDA tried to suppress the release of that dossier to Americans for 55 years. So that's prima facie evidence that the FDA is actively involved in a biopharmaceutical cover-up. Now, uh, you know, Americans got wise to this, uh, rates of vaccination dropped, but we still haven't seen any investigation of what happened. Was it a dangerous contaminant? Was it just the opposite? Was it actually more viable RNA getting into the system? Was it people with certain inherited uh, issues like blood clotting issues or heart problems? Uh, these questions still remain unanswered. And there's been a large number of people who have died. Uh, the World Council for Health uh, is the first organization that's come out June 11th, 2022, and actually has called for a global recall and said, listen, pull the existing ones off the market. Uh, we need safer vaccines to move forward. There's about 16 vaccines uh, out there in development. Uh, but that's where we are now. The book is really about the lead up to this, the suppression of early treatment. Uh, and and, and I, I testified in the Texas Senate on June 27th, uh, Lou, and I made the case to the Texas Senate, there's always been a community standard of care to treat COVID. And the community standard of care starts with the very first doctor who has the courage to treat somebody and keep them out of the hospital. And then it builds from there. The community standard of care is not defined by the CDC, NIH, or FDA. It's not just defined by medical boards. It's actually defined by the practitioners that find certain drugs or strategies useful. And, and in... The, the courage to, to face COVID-19. 
Yeah, do you go into the issue of the task force, the uh, Operation Warp Speed, and perhaps the fear that motivated a very quick uh, uh, development of those vaccines that that perhaps was, in retrospect at least, a mistake? We do, and we do think, so the crimes that were committed were fraud. Uh, Americans and people worldwide were defrauded. And the second crime is actually mass negligent homicide. People lost their lives. Greater numbers of people actually lost their lives by the denial and suppression of early treatment. The defendants is the biopharmaceutical complex. That's uh, the World Economic Forum, the Gates Foundation, CEPI, the Center for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, uh, Gavi, Rockefeller Foundation, Welcome Trust, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the CDC, NIH, and FDA, you know, major medical societies. It is a giant complex that worked to suppress treatment. The plaintiffs are actually all the people out there who were denied a chance to stay out of the hospital and to keep their lives uh, and, and it is a crime. It's a crime for all time. And uh, the book is such a complex reality, Lou, that John Leake tells it in a narrative, an easy-to-read story. You'll, I'm going to get a copy to you. It's in big print. You can read it in about two and a half hours, and it's a fun read. I love the fact you added the big print. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that's doubly appreciated and absolutely correct. I, uh, I won't need my, uh, my cheaters or my readers' uh, reading glasses. Uh, I want to, if I may, talk about the issue of skepticism in the medical community for just a moment. And that is, you know, like everyone else, we have uh, a, a doctor, particularly of our age, we have a doctor who we just think the world of. Uh, but the, one of the things that we noticed is that every doctor seems to take their orders from this sort of consensus that boils up from the CDC or, or the NIH. There is a ready-made apparatus uh, for a, uh, a, if you will, a conventional uh, herd-like uh, approach to medicine that I think is just stunning when we're talking about some of the most brilliant doctors and some of the most effective doctors in the world. You know, we've never seen this in heart disease, cancer, or other illnesses to have a top-down approach. It's usually just the opposite. Innovation comes from doctors in the clinic and the hospital, trying new things, doing clinical trials, observation. Uh, this top-down, I think it was actually all driven out of fear. I think people were afraid of getting it themselves. It was, uh, once they were got into this fear-driven groupthink, it was just far easier to accept whatever the agency said. And, and then once the the punishment started coming out. Once there were examples like me and others in my circles, people said, wait a minute, uh, doctors are going to lose their job. They're going to be stripped of all their credentials if they go against the narrative. Uh, I better not dare do that. So in a chapter in our book, it's called The Stripping. And it just describes the dismantling of my career because I simply wanted to discuss this narrative. And, and I I produced my own data. I published my own papers, and I did that fairly, and I gave fair analyses on this show and others. And, boy, the stripping really lays out what can happen. Yes, and uh, and the fact of the matter is there is some – you and I sh share a similar uh, a path uh, to suppression. Uh, I've, I've been sued, uh, named in lawsuits uh, that amount to, in one case, $2.7 billion dollars because I wanted an investigation of a an election that on its face 
was rigged and there were great anomalies. And I was not asking for anyone to, uh, you know, overthrow the government or, you know, tear down the halls of uh, Congress. All I wanted was the FBI, the Justice Department, to investigate the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, to investigate Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania. And for that, and for that, you know, there is a, a, a defamation lawsuit because we want to know what happened with those voting machines. We want to know what happened uh, to have Bill Barr not intercede in an election that uh, he knew that Vice President Biden, former vice president as a candidate, was lying in the second presidential deb- second and final debate of 2020. Why did these things happen? And you know, it's you can't even ask a question, it seems. I mean, I ask plenty of questions, and I will do so no matter what. But this is really quite a turn in America, isn't it? There appears to be a widespread blanket of corruption that's just settled down on the entire nation, if not the entire globe. The courts seem to be corrupt. The processes have become corrupt. Elections uh, adjudication of medical issues. You know, I've uh, kept my focus uh, narrowly in the medical range, but the corruption is striking. I'm either a plaintiff or a defendant now in about 12 suits. Um, I have an active, a whole portfolio of active uh, defamation cases going on as a plaintiff. And interestingly, I'm a plaintiff in a suit where the defendant is Twitter. And Twitter has uh, on my Twitter account, I have about 2.5 million visitors a day. There's only less than 500,000 followers. And because Twitter's unfollowing people off my account, they right. have, uh, you know, they have far overreached. You know, they, like any other media, they're a, they're a common carrier. They don't have license to try to shape messages. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, finally, our case actually has standing we will get discovery. Others are suing Twitter, and we were stunned to find out through American First Legal that Twitter was having regular conferencing with the CDC in order to craft a false government narrative and shape the messaging through social media. Incredible. And by the way, again, another uh, common feature, uh, I have over 2 million uh, followers on Twitter. And you know, it's the funniest thing. Uh, we haven't been able to grow above the the last three digits have been the same. All of the digits have been the same. Uh, 400 and some odd thousand before we can get to uh, uh, 2 million, uh, 250,000. Uh, it's been on like that for months and months. Uh, it's uh, shadow banning at its worst because I simply speak the truth and directly. I don't call anybody uh, names. I Well, I may call one or two people names, but I, you know, I don't believe that... Uh, there's anything in the world that makes any sense about what Twitter is doing, uh, except protecting a left-wing scourge that is set upon the land. I agree with you. It's in almost every aspect of our society. There is corruption. If you are a working man and woman in this country with a family, uh, a middle-class uh, family, uh, striving hard to better yourself for your children so they can do better than you, where do you look? Do you look to the courts? Because, you know, now it's all a lie. It's all a lie. The chief justice of the Supreme Court said there are no Trump judges or Obama judges or Bush judges. They're just judges and justices. Pure nonsense. Follow the politics. 
follow the result of the cases. Uh, when you look at what is happening in our in our communities, uh, whether it be the school boards that uh, are trying to indoctrinate rather than educate the two teachers unions. By the way, have the two main teachers unions, to your knowledge, uh, issued any kind of an apology to the American people for what they did to our children for two years? Uh, because they take, you know, it, they were absolutely wrong about the science. They were absolutely wrong about what they were doing uh, and created a year of devastation, at least for nearly every public school kid in the country. I haven't seen a single agency official, a single government or or a municipality leader or a single union leader issue any words of apology or regret. None. Zero. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, I want to turn to our last, as we wrap up here, uh, and as always, we will give you the opportunity for the last word here on the show, but I want to ask you one question before we turn to that, uh, and that is the monkey pox hysteria and national crisis, according to the Biden administration. Is this, in your judgment, a crisis? Is it a pandemic? Is it a public health emergency? Or is this more politics in advance of the upcoming midterm elections? It's definitely not an emergency. I think it's clearly politically motivated. A medical emergency, just like a weather emergency, should be visible. You should look outside and be able to see that there's an emergency. The hospitals ought to be overwhelmed with cases. Uh, there ought to be you know, just horrendous consequences. Uh, this is a, a we have 7000 cases. Ninety eight percent are restricted to the male, gay or bisexual community. Ninety five percent of spread is through uh, male to male sexual contact. Forty one percent have concurrent HIV. This is clearly a sexually transmitted disease in its mode of spread. And we need safe sex education, access to a very effective medicine called TPOX. There's no American deaths. The hospitals are are not seeing cases, Lou. This is a complete overreach, and it's a method by which these pharmaceutical stakeholders are draining treasuries with no oversight. As as we all suspected, I believe. Uh, And and to to be clear about this, uh, the CDC, in one report, uh, the CDC could not decide whether or not they should warn the gay community that they should reduce, not end, not, you know, be celibate uh, or constrained, but just reduce the number of sexual partners uh, during this period of national crisis. Uh, your reaction to that one? Lou, a paper by Thornhill, New England Journal of Medicine, stunningly they, these uh, people who developed the monkeypox are all young, by the way. Older people like you and me, we're protected from our original smallpox vaccine. So this is not a, we're out of this discussion completely. But of the young men, uh, it turns out that uh, they were having up to 10 sexual partners at a time. Good Lord. Well, you're speechless. <laughs> I, I, I had no I, I have to say to you, my first reaction is my God, the enthusiasm is uh, meritorious. Uh, the uh, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Well, the point I'm making is it takes a lot of contact to spread this. You know, you don't get this from touching a you know a a a, a you know a wrapper on a hamburger or something. I mean, it takes a lot of spread. There was a case in Dallas last year, Lou, and uh, published by Rao and colleagues. This guy was all over Atlanta, Dallas, whatever. You finally he got treatment. The point is. 
He was from the Congo. Uh, he was not gay or bisexual. He didn't have close contact with people. But just by traveling on airplanes and being around Dallas, he didn't spread it to a single person. So I'm telling you, it takes a lot of contact. The average American has absolutely no worries uh, on their mind regarding monkeypox. Well, uh, encouraging to know, and uh, as we suspected, more nonsense from a very uh, from an impaired president uh, and his absolutely clownish. Uh, White House. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, we thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for being with us here today and look forward to talking with you soon. As always, at the uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, we turn it over to our guests for the concluding thoughts, the last word, if you will. Well, Lou, thanks for having me uh, on the show. Make sure you go to my link tree, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you a link to the book, Courage to Face COVID-19, and all my other social media sites. Let's be bold and let's be relentless in bringing the truth to America. Amen. And thank you very much. And God bless you, doctor. God bless you. Thanks, everybody, for being with us here tomorrow. Our guest is the Republican candidate for governor of the great state of Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, state senator, combat veteran, four master's degrees and a Ph.D. in history and a retired colonel in the U.S. Army. Please join us. That's Doug Mastriano here with us tomorrow on The Great America Show. Please join us. Till then, God bless you, and may God bless America.